If you don't make time for your wellness, you'll be forced to make time for your illness. Welcome back to the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning Podcast, where we cover the science-based evidence behind social and emotional learning for schools and emotional intelligence training in the workplace with tools, ideas, and strategies we can all use for immediate results. I'm Andrea Samadhi, an author and an educator with a passion for learning, specifically on the topics of health, well-being, and productivity, and launched this podcast to share how important an understanding of our brain is for our everyday life and results, whether we're a teacher in the classroom, a student, or in the modern workplace. This month, you might have noticed we're breaking into a new season on the podcast, season eight, where we're focusing on brain health and learning with a look at how an understanding of our brain can have an immediate improvement in our life as well as our future generations. If you've followed our past few episodes, you'll recall me mentioning our guest today, Ashok Gupta, who's a well-known neuroplasticity brain training expert who has spent the last 25 years researching the effects of the brain and the mind on illness. He suffered from a condition called ME, or chronic fatigue syndrome, around 25 years ago when he was studying at Cambridge University. Through neurological research that he conducted, he managed to get himself 100% better. He then set up a clinic to treat others and published the well-known neuroplasticity brain retraining recovery program that he created, known as the GUPTA program, in 2007. He's published several medical papers, interviews experts in the field himself, like his recent interview with Dr. Joe Mather, a medical director of a well-known functional medicine clinic in England called the Ruscio Institute, and is continually researching these chronic conditions. Recently, a randomized control trial was published showing the GUPTA program that Ashok created himself was highly effective compared to a control. The program now is used to support people with a wide variety of chronic illnesses like chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia, among others that you can see listed on his website. And Ashok Gopta is now on a mission to research and support people with chronic illnesses through this drug-free and revolutionary integrated and holistic approach. When I was first introduced to Ashok and his brain training program, I thought of all the people I know personally who've had that frustrating experience of going to the doctor for something they know just feels off in their body, whether it's an illness or a pain from an accident or an injury, and the doctor says there's nothing wrong with you and sends them off with a prescription for something like an anti-anxiety medicine or an antidepressant, which doesn't work because it doesn't come close to addressing the root cause. If you've ever wondered why our body seems to hold on to an old injury or what's at the root of chronic disease like fibromyalgia that causes years of frustration, lack of focus in the workplace and decreased productivity, there is a solution. And the answer shockingly comes from an understanding of our brain. Let's meet Ashok Gupta and see how neuroscience is connected to chronic pain and illness and what he has seen from thousands of his patients around the world who use the GEPTA program. 
Welcome, Ashok. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast to share the years of research you've done in the field of chronic pain and illness. Uh, what part of the UK have we reached you in today? Yeah, well, thank you, first of all, for inviting me uh, to your podcast. So, so excited to, to be here. So I'm based in uh, London, uh, but we're essentially a, a global neuroplasticity clinic. So most of our clients are, in fact, uh, in North America. Oh, wonderful. And I was just telling you when we came on that I was born in Worthing, Sussex. So I'm going to start talking with my British accent instead of my Canadian American slang. <laughs> yeah, so let's see. By the, by the end of the interview, perhaps you'll be in a full English accent. Who knows? That would be fun. So I want to just begin, uh, Ashok, with uh, your story, because it's really incredible to see what you've built. And I've watched some of your recent podcasts, and people can access those in the show notes and everything you share in your interviews, I just find fascinating, and even groundbreaking. Can you share where this all began for you with an illness to come into looking at how the brain deals with chronic pain and illness? Uh, yeah, sure. So I, like many of us who are working in this space, we have our own journey, our own suffering that we've gone through, our own challenges uh, that we've then turned into something hopefully positive for the rest of society. So I, when I was studying as an undergrad, I um, went to India for a holiday. I was you know, healthy, but I was also burning the candle at both ends at university and i back to the uk i was in my end of second year so i was entering my third year and i had a stomach bug which i thought nothing of but my symptoms tend to get worse and worse and worse even coming back to the uk and the stomach bug went but it left a legacy of me or chronic fatigue syndrome where i was exhausted uh, i couldn't even read a textbook I had to crawl to the bathroom on my worst days. So it was severe exhaustion, a kind of almost a complete breakdown of all the systems in the body and in the brain. And going to doctor to doctor, and they'd all say, there's nothing we can do. We don't know what causes it. You're on your own. So suddenly as a young man in my early 20s, you know, a brick wall in front of me and people saying, oh, you can have this for the rest of your life, right? And in my worst days, I was almost suicidal and thought, you know, what's the point living like this is impossible. And in that moment, I made a promise with the universe. I said, if I can just help myself get better, I will dedicate the rest of my life to help others because millions around the world are suffering from these types of conditions which don't have a, a mainstream medical explanation. But yet there's got to be something that can be, that can be done. And so I managed to uh, then go on to reading lots of brain neurology uh, papers and articles uh, books on the subject, physiology, and put together a hypothesis as, as to what might be going on. And then in an ad hoc fashion, retrained my brain, got myself 100% better, then went on to publish medical papers on the subject, and then opened up a clinic to help others. And then we refined, this was uh, kind of late um, 90s, and then we refined and refined and refined the techniques until we then published uh, our neuroplasticity training first in 2007, and then it was updated and revamped in 2019. Well, it's so incredible to have seen the pathway because we all know how debilitating it is when we have an injury, it, it stops your whole life. And 
we when I think about the reason why we launched this podcast, it was to actually connect the brain to learning. And I heard you say that most medicine is based on what's measurable and what we can measure is in the body. Like so when we're looking at medicine or learning and education, but the the brain is this black box that we can't measure. So I just wondered, how did you even think to look at the brain with chronic pain that led you to your hypothesis? For me, it was this key idea of a, a central sensitization or a central point that is causing all of these downstream effects. Because I would go to medical conferences, especially on chronic fatigue syndrome and ME, and every single branch of medicine would be represented, right? Immunology, physiology, hormo hormone experts, um, uh, psychologists, all of them saying, hey, we're noticing these differences. And so for me, how could it be at a local peripheral level that there's just a complete breakdown of all these systems? It must be at the central level, at the brain level, because that's the, the brain is ultimately the master organ that is coordinating what happens in the rest of the body. And mainstream medicine has traditionally been, as you say, about measurement. What is measurable? So if somebody has pain, let's measure the peripheral nerves, let's measure the electrical activity, let's measure the inflammation, and that must be the cause. It's a very kind of reductionist philosophy. But in Eastern philosophies, we've always talked about treating the brain and the body and the person holistically. Yeah? And therefore, for me, it made sense that this was in the central nervous system and primarily in the brain, which was the black box. This is something only the last 20 or 30 years have we been able to peer into the brain and figure out what's going on. And I believe up to 70 to 80% of modern illnesses that we see in a GP surgery are actually these neuroimmune condition syndromes. They're actually our own bodies overreacting. And um, therefore, if we can retrain the brain, we can begin to heal so many different conditions, which we normally put sticking classes on or, you know, just give pills to that don't really impact the underlying physiology. Right, because we're not getting to the root cause of it. And and I was thinking about this injury. Like we've all had an injury in our lifetime. Like we sitting, we're sitting at our desk and we're doing our work and something's nagging at us that, you know, just doesn't seem to go away. And then for me, I've got this neck pain and, and I mm. had an accident where I slipped on a pool deck and pr probably in the late 90s when you started doing your work. And it's always remained there. I've seen chiropractors and massage therapists and physical therapy. And, you know, I wonder if it's all in my head, like, is this pain mm. that I'm still experiencing just made up? And then I came across your work and then I thought, how does the brain create this inflammation loop once mm. there's an injury that it just stays inflamed? So what, what's happening, would you say, with my neck pain? Yeah, really interesting uh, kind of, I suppose, case study that we can kind of delve into here. Uh, so our hypothesis is that when it comes to pain, when we go through a so-called traumatic injury, and this is often the precursor to fibromyalgia, which is, you know, we've got some clinical evidence on treating that as well, that often fibromyalgia is triggered by a local pain or injury that then generalizes to the entire body. And in your condition or your situation, what may have happened is you had that accident and in the immediate aftermath of that accident, it was often, it was traumatic for the body in the sense of it was life-threatening. 
Yeah, any injury where we fall over, where we hit ourselves hard, is life-threatening as far as the body and the brain is concerned. So its primary objective is not your health and wellness, but is your survival. Yeah, we're here after millions of years of evolution from plants to animals to us, because the primary directive of our genes is to survive and ensure survival of those genes, passing them on to the next generation. And so your brain in that moment says, right, we need to now trigger inflammation to that part of the body which has been injured so that we can prevent any long-term effects, okay? And what then happens is in some patients, once the injury is healed, the nervous system and the immune system reset and we go back to normal. But in certain instances, if the experience of it was quite traumatic for the brain and body, it errs on the side of caution and thinks, I need to continually tighten up let's say, or compensate for the injury. That might be tightening up on the other side of the, the neck, or it might be tightening on that side of the neck, combined with continual inflammation of this particular area of the body, let's say. And the brain says, I want to keep doing that because just in case that injury may come back or it's had long-term effects, let me just see what I can do. Let how I can maintain health in that area. And then the brain, itself starts detecting the signals from that part of the body as pain signals. Yeah. And those are pain signals caused by its own inflammation, its own sensitization in that area of the body. Those pain signals then loop back into the hypersensitive, hypervigilant brain that says, I knew there was still something wrong with the neck there. Maybe the injury is still causing issues. Just to make sure, let's channel a ton more inflammation, sensitization, a stimulation of the nerves in that area so we can make sure that we're on top of things which once again then causes continual sensitization and pain and inflammation in that part which loops back to a hypersensitive brain and we get caught in a vicious loop where the input and the output of the system have got connected and then go on to causing a chronic condition wow when i first heard you explain that it made so much sense because it never seems to go away with uh, chiropractics. And the doctor just looks at me and I start thinking, is this all in my head? Do I really feel pain? And mm. then it, it was strange because certain therapies like hip hypnotherapy would do really well. Be mm -hmm. And then I started to really think, why is hypnotherapy helping me where the hypnotherapist had me say a word and then I imagine, let's say an ice pack on the back of my neck, or I put my hand on and I say this weird word <laughs> that he said that will help relieve the pain. And then it goes away and it really mm -hmm. does go away. And it allows me um, at times when I'm presenting, if it's bothering me, it goes away, away right away why would that happen is it is the pain how is my brain stopping the pain fascinating stuff this is not in your head it's in your brain and the difference is that when we're using something like hypnotherapy you you put it exactly right the visualization aspect of the hypnotherapy is the important bit when we visualize and imagine a healthy state of being in the neck the brain no longer needs to initiate protective responses because it's getting the message that this part of the neck is healthy. There is no injury there because we're imagining that it feels completely fine. Therefore, you can switch off inflammatory responses, sensitization responses, over triggering of the electrical system in that area of the, the neck and come back to balance. 
so it's so the imagination is switching it off so and people say well how can that be possible yeah. so let me give you an example of this an example i always use of a lemon right so imagine i have a slice of lemon and i'm now gonna place that slice of lemon in your mouth and oh so tangy and all oh, the, the, the saliva's flowing and it's just mm, so tangy in your mouth right so whenever i do that i always get saliva so i don't know if you have you got saliva in your mouth right now before as, as you started of talking for sure before i even started <laughs> to, <laughs> yeah you're an effective visualizer there we go now isn't that amazing i managed to elicit a physiological response in your body through just imagination even though you knew it wasn't real mm-hmm. you knew it wasn't real and yet the simple act of visualization creates a physiological response now imagine if we're able to capture that essence that knowledge and to be able to um, retrain the brain to believe that this part of your neck is actually safe this it, its response was relevant when the injury happened 20 years ago but it's not relevant now and therefore we train the brain to switch off the immune inflammatory responses to switch off the nervous system responses in that part of your neck permanently not just temporarily but permanently yeah. then the brain gets the message this is now the right thing to do we catch up with new data and new information about the modern world because the way our, uh, the unconscious subconscious works is it doesn't necessarily look at time it looks at protective mechanisms so what happened 20 years ago for it is like it's like one minute ago right it doesn't think of time in the way that our conscious brain thinks of time it simply says what do i need to do to ensure survival and err on the side of caution and so that's what brain retraining does with these chronic pain conditions is train the brain that we are safe we can switch off these responses So when you're talking to people and they have these incredible experiences with your program that we're going to get into or with hypnotherapy, don't you think modern medicine, have they caught up with this yet? Your hypothesis and the theory that's working versus do you think people say, well, that's all in your head that hypnotherapy and these brain training um, practices are working and, and you need to go back to taking medicine or someone told me the other day, just go take an Advil for your pain. And I thought I would never take an Advil. I take, I cover myself in peppermint over that. Mm. Do you think that the, the we need both or can we switch away from some of these damaging medicines that we just would take that we're no, we know will now damage our stomach lining and gut mm. microbiome and all that. Yeah, look, I think the, there's a huge scandal, obviously, with the opioid scandal, the pain medication scandals. We've got pop stars dying of this kind of thing in the, in the news. We know it's a massive scandal where um, pain medication has been over-prescribed. We know that it doesn't really have any longer-term effects and can become habit-forming. Now, at the same time, anyone listening to this, obviously, we're not suggesting you you go off your, your meds or anything like that. Obviously, it's, it's done in conjunction with your doctor. But yes, I do believe that mainstream medicine is now really taking this seriously. And maybe five or 10 years ago when we were doing this work, it wasn't taking it seriously. But now I've got hundreds of, of uh functional medicine doctors, integrative doctors, alternative practitioners recommending our program in addition to their protocols, which is which is great. So it's becoming more and more mainstream. And the idea of neuroplasticity is really costing on as well, that actually we can change a lot of these uh, chronic conditions 
through the power of neuroplasticity. And so it's catching on. And I think the key thing that people need to really understand is what you just said, which is just because we're not using drugs or surgery doesn't mean we're saying it's psychosomatic or in the mind. What we're saying is it's in the unconscious brain. Yeah, which is a part of our physiology. It's not in the mind, which is the, the aspect of consciousness. We're not deliberately creating it. We're not imagining it. There is a protective system that's unconscious that has become hyperactive. And we are using our own conscious, consciousness up here to tap into the subconscious, switch off those protective responses and get back to homeostasis. And a lot of support groups, whether it be for long COVID or chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia, sometimes there's a little resistance to the work that we're doing because they believe we're saying it's in the mind. And it takes us a long time to really persuade them. We are not saying that you are at fault. It is not in the mind, but we can train the brain through neuroplasticity to get back to health. Okay, so I think it's going to help if you can talk specifically about the amygdala and the insula and how it's connected to chronic pain and disease, because I heard that explanation and that really took it inside my brain. And then mm. thinking about connecting it with chronic fatigue syndrome or long haul COVID, you've got mm. a list of 12 conditions or more on your website how would you connect those two parts of the brain to chronic mm. disease? Great. So I, I, I don't know, uh, Andrew, are you a, a fan of Game of Thrones by any chance? Is that a TV show? Uh, um, it, it is, yes. <laughs> yeah, so I haven't watched it, no. You haven't watched it. Okay, well, let's imagine fairy tale. Let's imagine there's a fairy tale. Okay. And so let's take the example of um, long COVID because it's obviously in the news right now. So let's imagine that you, Andrea, are the queen of the castle. Okay. And your amygdala is your, your army. That's the nervous system responses, the stress system responses. Yeah. And your insula is the immune system responses. So that's your navy. Okay. So you have an army and navy that protect your kingdom and your castle. Yeah. And what happens is often in when people get long COVID is that in the run up to getting COVID, they may have been a little drained, a little tired. And certainly, certainly in 2020, there was a lot of fear and uncertainty about uh, COVID itself. So that's represented by, let's say in your kingdom and castle, there's now a drought. Yeah. So because of that drought, the army and navy are a little weaker than normal. The kingdom is a little weaker. People aren't eating as well because of this drought. Then along comes an invading army over the hill, and that's the COVID infection. So your army and navy, your nervous system and immune system, they're ready to fight. They're a little weak, but they're ready to fight. So they're fighting off this incoming invader, and they're valiantly fighting it off till eventually they're able to get rid of this COVID infection. But obviously, as a result of doing that, this has traumatized your amygdala and insula, your immune system and your nervous system, because they think, wow, we only just managed to fight off that invader. What happens if they come back again? The castle will fall. So they come to you, Queen Andrea, and they say, we need all the resources of the kingdom now. We need all the wheat, the metal, etc., all the resources to be funneled to the army and navy so that if an invader comes, we can protect us and save us. So now the castle and your body and your brain all become weaker because all the resources are going to triggering your nervous system and immune system and over triggering it. So they're in a state of battle readiness 
So now, even if a man on a horse comes over the hill, they interpret that as an invader and start shooting all their arrows and war machines at this one horse because they're in a hypervigilant state of overprotection. And so in COVID, what happens is most people get over COVID and they go back to normal. Well, actually, most people still have a period of post-viral fatigue for many weeks, in fact. But about 10 to 20 percent of people still have lingering symptoms after eight to 12 weeks because that army and navy are still firing off those arrows and defending the kingdom, even though the original invader has gone, because they're traumatized by the war that they experienced. And then what happens is the kingdom itself becomes traumatized by the fact that it's continually feeling weak. It's continually not at its normal phase of, of health. And therefore that exacerbates the situation, the ongoing worry and creates these vicious cycles. So your brain says, hey, I'm feeling weak. I'm feeling a lack of energy. I've got these symptoms. I've got, you know, occasional sore throats and coughing. Those symptoms loop back to a hypersensitive brain and the brain says we're still in danger, triggers the immune system and the nervous system, creating all these downstream symptoms. And we create a vicious cycle, which is what is causing, in our view, uh, long COVID and chronic fatigue syndrome. Uh, it's following an infection, there's an ongoing stimulation. And with pain, it's a very similar pattern, which is uh, with pain, when we experience pain or an injury, there is inflammation and electrical activity and hypersensitivity. When you have pain, your brain needs to receive all the incoming signals to figure out what's going on, come up with survival strategies. But imagine if that's continuous, that then even once the original pain has gone or the source of the pain has gone, the continual inflammation, continual magnification of signals to the brain then causes this uh, chronic pain syndromes, uh, which can result from injury. When you were talking, I just thought about this study that I know you mentioned, and it's with emotional pain, where you remember the, the two groups, um, one was isolated or the in-group and the out-group, and they found out that emotional pain followed the same pathway as physical pain. Mm -hmm. And then I just wondered as you were talking about pain, so let's just say somebody's going through like an emotional situation, does the same loop happen until the person deals with whatever they're going through? Or, you know, maybe they're, they've been isolated at work or something and that work situation is bringing them down. So they mm -hmm. have to get out of that in order how, how does emotional pain, I guess, feel in the body? It's not the same as when you wipe out and cut yourself, or is it? There's a lot of crossovers. Yeah, so originally in the amygdala was associated with emotional responses and PTSD type responses in conjunction with a part of the brain called the periaqueductal gray, uh, which was taking in these, these incoming signals from the body. And what they discovered was actually the amygdala is involved in pain responses and even immune responses. So once again, mainstream medicine dichotomizes these different areas, right? Physical and emotional, but the brain doesn't make that differentiation. The brain simply says, what do I need to do to survive emotionally, physiologically? And so when we experience pain, it has two aspects. One is the physical sensation of pain, but secondly is the emotional component of that pain. And studies show that the more anxious and fearful and hypervigilant we are of that pain, the more the, the higher the subjective experience of that pain. And if we're going through anxiety or depression, 
the pain magnifies as well. But techniques like meditation and breathing have been shown to reduce the emotional context of that pain. Distraction has been shown to reduce the impact of that pain, because if you aren't consciously processing that pain, then it can no longer go into those vicious loops and vicious cycles. So if the brain is now engaged in an uplifting, happy activity, it can't simultaneously experience that and be processing pain at the same time. So that's where the, the, the brain shifts its, its awareness and attention. And so, yes, there are emotional components of our day-to-day -day experiences, such as heartbreak, which follow the same uh, kind of pathways as physical pain. It's interesting. It's interesting when you start to connect all of this. And for people who want to learn more about your hypothesis, as well as you've got many published medical papers, it's all listed on your website. I just wonder how important it was for you that you were the first original neuroplasticity or brain retraining program that started over 20 years ago. Um, how has this helped you that you've been pioneering the way? with what you've discovered? I think for us, we're always learning. That's the key thing. We, you know, we can't say we've cracked this 100%, but we've, we're getting there. And it's ongoing learning, ongoing experimentation uh, with this. And since we published our work, there have been other programs that have come afterwards that have, let's say, taken inspiration from, from our program. And unfortunately, we were concerned because some of those programs, they have removed the compassion aspect of retraining, that you can't retrain your brain in a very boot camp obsessive way. It may work temporarily, but when you then get back into normal life, there has to be that self-compassion and self-awareness. And secondly, we wanna get people well and get them to stay well. So our ability to handle stress and uh, not allow dips or relapses to occur is incredibly, uh, is an important part of the brain retraining um, as well. Well, if we could get right to your GEPTA program that you developed, I actually signed up for your 28-day free trial, and I've mm -hmm. put a link in the show notes for people, and I was so impressed from the start, and I have to say a lot of it comes from the fact that I'm also a course creator, so I'm pretty picky when I'm going through a course to see, you know, how, how did you do your videos, how easy is it? What's the messaging? And you do really care about each person. Um, the, the emails that I got were targeted to help me with whatever I had signed up for. And so just from that point of view, I thought, well, this is, this is brilliant. Um, and so how did you create those beautiful videos? Were you actually in the mountains somewhere? How did you do that? Yeah, it's so funny, Andrew. When people watch the videos, sometimes they say to me, Ashok, is that just a green screen behind you with mountains? And I think, my gosh, all the tens of thousands of dollars it costs to go to fly to Switzerland to film those videos. And some really? people think it's green screen. So, yes, they are filmed in Switzerland. Oh, my goodness. In the well, Alps. Because I yeah. knew it wasn't a green screen because I did green screen and you can see green in my hair. And I thought, no, it's not green screen. But I yeah. thought, how you really did go to Switzerland. That is mm beautiful because that's at the stage for what you're doing which brings like you just said the humane aspect to this this is serious mm -hmm. for you that you chose a peaceful place to uh talk about what we're doing here we're gonna retrain our brain that, that's brilliant Ashok thank you appreciate that and the reason we did that was because 
um, you know, the Alps, the Swiss Alps have been known for generations to be very healing in and of themselves. And we wanted to make the videos healing, that there's a transmission effect. It's not just about what you learn, but emotionally, you're just automatically feeling relaxed and you're engaging and you're feeling like you're hurt and you're feeling safe that you can retrain your brain. So we thought Switzerland is the best place to, to, to film this. And I had a wonderful time anyway, out there oh, <laughs> seeing all the beautiful vistas. Oh, it was amazing. Oh, that's impressive. I love that really. And so I did go through the first few sessions. I think uh, there's, uh, are there 15 sessions when you start? How many sessions do you have? 15 video sessions in total. Okay. And they're split into modules because we know people can't consume large amounts of information. So each module is like 10 to 15 minutes because you can, so you can consume each module. And um, yeah, so 15 interactive video sessions and about 30 to 40 audio exercises, which all support the brain retraining. And then there's weekly webinars with myself and we have a supportive forum as well. So we really give lots of resources and support to help people to heal. Many people have been isolated and been ill for decades uh, with these conditions. But we want to give people the hope that it doesn't matter how long you've had it or what you've been told by doctors, we're seeing people healing and getting better every day. You know, like I had a guy in his 80s in New Zealand who, you know, you think, well, when someone's 84 years old, who knows what is being caused by chronic fatigue versus natural aging process and the fatigue you get from getting older. And he retrained his brain. He had fibromyalgia and ME, I think, for 30 years. He retrained his brain, got himself well and said, right, I'm going to travel the world now. Wow. You know, I've got my health back. Right. So I thought, wow, if somebody at that age can retrain and have the motivation and commitment to do it, then I believe we all can. So you, I can see a lot of the results that people are achieving through your website. I went through them and it is impressive. A lot uh, of the success stories were chronic fatigue. And I also watched that interview you did with Dr. Joe Mather on his uh, mold exposure story. So I can mm. see there's so many different areas that you're you're looking into if i was to go there or someone with chronic pain in their neck wh where would you suggest that that we focus on where how do you begin so the brain training process itself is agnostic in the sense that it doesn't care what condition you've got it's a system of being able to retrain hyperactive responses. So you use the program in exactly the same way as it's prescribed, which is there's a regular meditation and breathing, which is to support neuroplasticity. And then in session five, there's the main brain retraining technique that you recognize the danger signals that come from your neck. So attention or danger signals from your neck, you learn to recognize that and to create the opposite response. That's what we train the brain to do. And eventually, and, and we've had many people, it could be back pain, it could be neck pain, it could be all over body pain. Through using this repeatedly, eventually they're able to train the brain to go back to normal. Now, then the key thing is the dips, because then people become complacent and they think, oh, I've done it now, I'm, I don't need to do anymore. But then perhaps they get really busy and stressed at work and push and overdo it. When that happens, sometimes there's wiring between stress systems and the pain systems or pain processing systems or immune processing systems and they get tied together so excessive stress can then bring back the pain and i don't know if is that if that's something that you notice um with yourself sure whenever i have to go into a speaking situation i'm always like why does it hurt right this minute right yeah so the excessive triggering of the amygdala and the 
periaqueductal gray in terms of those fear responses, then simultaneously triggers the um, pain processing systems. Because the, the anxiety generalizes and therefore creates more pain uh, in your neck. But by being able to recognize that and retrain it, you eventually can decouple it. So eventually you can get to the stage where you might be anxious, but it doesn't cause the neck pain. Um, so yeah, that's the hypothesis. So you, you've even seen it in action, how those two systems wire together. And that is the core of how we deal with these pain systems is pain systems are designed to find where's the pain in my body, right? So let's magnify incoming electrical signals from where the pain is so we can recognize it. Let's then send inflammation down there to prevent infection and to get rid of debris that may have occurred as a result of that injury. And then once we're satisfied that uh, there's no infection and there's no debris from uh, that injury, then we can switch off the inflammatory response and switch off those peripheral nerves, which are sending us the signals. But imagine if that pain processing system never switches off right. and stays stuck and gets into a vicious cycle. That's what then is the, the cause of these chronic conditions in our view. Yep, and that's why people are going to the doctor and saying, I don't feel right. And then yeah. the doctor does a blood test and there's nothing wrong with them. We've just mm -hmm. got to look for another solution, which yeah. I think you've uncovered. I think it's amazing here. What's next for you, Ashok, with your research? What are you focused on from here? Well, what's really exciting is there are applications for this that we never envisaged. For instance, we have doctors who are treating people for Alzheimer's and neurodegenerative diseases who have said, hey, we're using your program with patients. We are reversing Alzheimer's using this program. And I didn't believe it myself initially. And obviously this is anecdotal, but we would love to do research in the area of Alzheimer's, MS. So we have some people with MS who've been using the program successfully. And this all now makes sense where a lot of autoimmune conditions get triggered following stressful events in people's lives. And it makes sense that what's happening is for whatever reason, the brain decides to chuck a ton of inflammation into the brain or the spinal cord, which then causes this neurodegeneration. And if we could persuade the brain that that response is no longer valid and appropriate, then we can switch off these automated responses. We've just had a study done in Iran on depression, in fact, and you, and you mentioned your, your husband being Iranian. Um, yeah, we just we didn't even know this study was occurring. So they did a study and they found uh, that they were radically able to reduce uh, cognitive decline in uh, older adults, reduce depression, reduce anxiety, increase cognitive function uh, using our program. Yeah. And we've had anecdotally people say if it's used in the right way for depression, although we don't recommend it for depression because you need to be under, under the guidance of a practitioner. But when people use it for things, they're able to reduce that. And so when it comes to, I mean, if you think about what people go to see a doctor for, it's often pain syndromes, it's fatigue. Yeah. It's, uh, depression and anxiety, all of these things, which are not hardware problems, but are software problems. The wiring of the brain, the electrical system is going wrong. If we can now successfully target this wiring and give people powerful tools to be able to rewire very quickly, then they can overcome a whole host of different conditions that mainstream medicine finds it difficult to treat. So our aim is to focus on long COVID initially, because that's the big thing right now. So many people are suffering from that. And then branching off from that, obviously pain syndromes like fibromyalgia, ME and chronic fatigue syndrome was where we started. And then looking at neurodegenerative and autoimmune conditions as well. 
Well, I think that you've given us quite a broad overview of what your program covers. Is there anything that we've missed that's important to cover before we bring this into a close? Yeah, I think the key thing here is, if we're, if we're honest, the number one challenge we have at our clinic is people committing to the program. So we're so used to, in modern society, we have pain, we have an illness, you go to the doctor, you have five or 10 minutes, they prescribe drugs, you take the drugs and you get on with your life. Yeah, that's the mainstream medical model. And with these conditions, it does require that investment and commitment to do the tools and techniques. Absolutely. That is the key thing. And some people will be self-motivated and they'll be able to grab it by the scruff of the neck and do it. And others will require further guidance, which is why we have webinars and communities to, to support people. And the encouragement I want to give to everyone out there, you know, if you're suffering from some kind of chronic condition, it, per, you know, I believe it is possible to overcome these chronic conditions that when you see your doctor, they say, there's nothing we can do just see what, how it goes. It is possible to overcome these and it requires that commitment to wanting to do the retraining. And that is the key. One further thing I wanted to add, which is very important, is um, the science behind this. So people will obviously be listening to this and thinking, well, you know, what's the scientific proof that this helps? We're very much focused on the research. And so we have published a couple of randomized controlled trials showing that this treatment can be effective uh, with these types of conditions. So something we published as a couple of years ago in the Journal of Clinical Medicine, so one of the top 10 journals in the world, um, was on fibromyalgia patients. And we were able to reduce fibromyalgia scores by 40% within eight weeks. But in the control group, there was zero impact. And we were able to halve anxiety and depression in the active group uh, as well. So that's just an example of some of the studies that we're doing. We've also just recently finished a study which has shown that we were able to reduce fatigue uh, by four times as much as a control group in uh, long COVID, which is very, very exciting. So we're looking to publish that soon as well. So all of this is building up a body of evidence that this type of approach can improve a, a range of different conditions. When I saw the research that you had done, uh, when I went through your website, I just wondered, going back to the late 90s, how did you navigate through difficult articles like we see on PubMed that the average person like me, when I go and read it, it's difficult to understand. How did you learn to publish your own and navigate through these articles in the very beginning to get to where you are now? I guess I've always had a very scientifically minded approach to things. Uh, you know, very kind of left brain. I thought, well, hopefully, I'm more right brained now and more holistic. You know, holistic. But in those days, I was definitely very left brain and very methodical. And uh, so, for me, it was always about systems. I looked at these medical papers through systems, and I see the brain and our bodies as essentially very logical processing systems. Yeah that are able to take in information, assess the environment and create appropriate responses. So when I looked at all of these different medical papers, absolutely, it's very confusing and overwhelming, especially the brain neurology, which is very much in depth. Um, but, you know, but by, by the grace of the universe, I was able to navigate that and, and come up with a hypothesis. And I think that's the key that you've made it simple for us to understand. It's very simple. I understand everything that you've said with regards to the amygdala, insula, and this vicious pain loop cycle. 
Ashok, I want to thank you so much for sharing your research with us and everything you've built with your GEPTA program that was beautifully designed. It's clear you have a heart to help people all over the world, especially those who don't know where to turn. So I hope anyone listening who feels off with their health visits your website and signs up for your program and just gives it a try like I, like I did. And I do look forward to learning from you as a pioneer in mindfulness and meditation for improved well-being. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Andrea. It's been a pleasure. If you're enjoying the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episodes. While you're there, please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit us at www.achieveit360.com.